You're listening to Power Producers Shop Talk, where we are refining and redefining the sales game by equipping you with the tools you need to differentiate yourself in the marketplace. Well, it's like when we audit the mod with Mod Advisor and are able to give them the action items that they're going to use to lower their total cost of risk. Tactical skills that will help you provide deliverable value to your clients and prospects. It's going to be a great year in 2022 at Florida Risk Partners now that IPFS is in the game with their total pay strategy, we can write excess and surplus lines and completely remove the agency bill from our agency. People, if you're not using total pay by IPFS, you're definitely leaving money on the table. And action items that you can provide to take your prospects and clients to the next level. Having partners like Mineral only bolsters the fact that your clients do not care about the insurance. It's all of the value that you're able to add. And with partners like Mineral who can help with both HR and environmental health and safety, we can't help but win. This is Power Producer Shop Talk. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to Power Producers Shop Talk. It feels like it has been literally forever since we have recorded a new one of these. And for those of you who are listening after the holidays, you're coming right on the heels of the replay of the original three sessions we did with our guest today, Crystal Ware. So I am ready to just open this can and let whatever comes out, come out. But we're going to start out talking about Crystal's experiences and kind of what she's learned after being an agency owner for the last two years. Crystal, before we get into that, just quickly give them sort of the synopsis of how you got into agency ownership. I mean, I think that people listening have listened to your regular episodes, some of the shop talks we've done. They know you're an attorney. They know you have, have been a, a producer and that you've worked at one of the big, um, big brokerages, but fill in just a little bit of, of the blanks for me. And then we're going to talk about it because I think this is something that number one, there's agency owners out there who may not have hit some of these lessons yet, and it'll help them avoid them. There's others that are going to be empathetic and relate to it. Then I got a feeling we've got a few producers that think, hey, I can go do this myself. Let me let me just go launch my own agency where I can control everything and think that it's just, you know, all just smooth sailing when that happens. And <laughs> not that we would try and talk anybody out of that, but we do probably need to give them a little bit of a reality check. So, <laughs> Some disclaimers. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and David, I'm happy to answer any and all questions, the good, the bad, the ugly on what it's been like. And certainly afterwards, if we don't hit on those points and people want us to come back and talk about them, um, I'm really open and transparent to all those issues. Or if people want to shoot me a note on LinkedIn or otherwise, I'm happy to answer any anything that we may not touch upon today. But to answer your original, how did I get here? Um, I went to law school uh, with the idea that I was going to be a litigator. I did insurance defense litigation for about a year and realized billing your time sucks. It's not fun. I don't know that many people, unless you're really good, like one of my friends who has a glass of wine and writes a report, um, you know, it's not that fun for most people. So I took a job doing claims at a big, one of the big brokerages 
uh, and just kind of fell into insurance like most people. And it was awesome. You know, I got to use the law degree in many different ways that I would never have gotten to do at um, a law firm. Then I transitioned for uh, different work-life balance reasons. Uh, my husband travels a lot. And so uh, being at the whim of the client and traveling, um, you know, just wasn't going to work anymore. Uh, so I transitioned to being a risk manager at two uh, big Fortune 500 companies, uh, Halliburton and then Total, which is a French oil and gas company. And uh, I was exposed to a lot of, you know, the business side of running an organization, albeit, you know, 10,000, 100,000 employee companies, but thought, you know, there is something more out there for me. There is something I'm missing, the fulfillment of being able to kind of be the master of your own destiny. So uh, I ran into a guy at a couple's wedding shower of all places that had a benefits agency and had been wanting to grow into the PNC side because his benefits clients, the owner's um, or uh, his other contacts uh, within the business really had been reaching out about, you know, what else can you do for me? We really want to work with somebody um, all together on every aspect of our insurance. And so out of that was born Empower Benefits and Insurance Group. And uh, it has been a real up and down show ever since. Uh, great in every way. And I, I, I'm sure that as entrepreneurs, you guys probably feel the same way. It would be really hard for me to say I'm going to go back into a big company space after, um, you know, kind of working at your own leisure, leisurely pace or not leisurely pace as it may be. So sure. that's kind of 30 second version of how I got here. Yeah, I think I would have a really, really, really hard time. I mean, even though even though Kyle, by all technicalities, is an employee, he is not treated that way. Yeah. And I mean, I try and give him as much latitude or I do give him as much latitude as I have myself. And I mean, I think that we've got a we've definitely have a really good thing going, mm -hmm. but there's no chance. Like there's no way I could go work anywhere else. I <laughs> so like, so my yeah, I wife, ruined him, by the way, he's absolutely <laughs> ruined from having that opportunity. I, yeah. I mean, so I'll sit around and my wife will be on calls and she's a manager at ADP, obviously giant, big, you know, fortune, whatever company. And just hearing some of the formalities and stuff that they have to go through, like the stupid meetings, like the meetings that are about <laughs> meetings. And it's just like, I'm like, what? Like, for example, they just went down to Miami this past weekend to, to redo a meeting that they did a couple months ago mm -hmm. that they didn't feel like went as, as, as good as it should have. And it no, was I, like, I completely empathize. And I tell that to my husband all the time. My husband has never, I mean, he's kind of been in an umbrella under a big company, but like in an entrepreneurial, like standalone kind of way. And he does not understand. I think that was actually Kyle, the, um, the tipping point for me was all yeah. these meetings and then having meetings with consultants about how do we reduce the meetings? I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's like, meetings I just want to work. I just right, want to exactly. work people. It, it's so stupid. I mean, again, some, and, and, and not only the meetings and stuff, but some of the other just BS that they have to deal with from being in corporate America and the way they have to go about dealing with uh, just issues that arise with employees on a daily basis. I'm like, my God, man, I could, I would not survive. Yeah. Well, that's I am, a good I am not sitting here laughing because you guys have a great stand up act. Everything that you're saying, I'm running through my brain and processing, and it's coming out the other side as Michael Scott. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good segue into, you know, one of the things I would say as an agency owner and bridging that big company space with what we're doing kind of in the 
uh, smaller scale is uh, one of the things that was also really annoying was these really long form reviews on employees, like just deep dives, making up um, goals for the next year that, you know, had to align with corporate standards that really Mm -hmm. didn't have anything to do with what your actual role is. And it was kind of ridiculous. And you'd have to fluff all this stuff up, which um, I thought was a big waste of time. But I can tell you, even in the small space, you may not do that. But I do think it's really important to have, you know, quarterly checkpoints with your employees, um, whether it's just like a 20 minute coffee, um, keeping a few running list of items that you want to work on, go over, uh, especially for younger employees and or newer to your organization employees. Uh, you know, it doesn't have to be difficult. It doesn't have to be this some master planned um, agenda item, but giving good feedback to your people so they understand that they're valued. If there needs to be an improvement, there's not a shock later on about that. Um, it is still really good. And that's one of the things that having worked in corporate America, I think really um, gives us an edge on how we handle employees at our group. But to your point, David, um, there's no, you know, micromanaging going on. It's, it's a freedom. Um, everybody is a, a master of their own schedule to large part. And it's about getting the work done and not about, let me see your face from nine to five. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about that, honestly, the exact same thing this morning, more specifically like formalized employee reviews and at least doing like the, every the, the six month and then the annual and I think that it's probably something that a lot of, I don't, I don't know if it's just relegated to the agency world or not, but I think that COVID probably allowed us to have an excuse to become more laxed in doing that. Because mm-hmm. especially if you had a bunch of people who were working remote and, the, you know, it, it's kind of interesting to think about it because you would intuitively, I think, if we have a bunch of people working remote, we probably have to work harder to make sure that they know how, you know, what's going on at the mothership, how, you know, how much they're valued, you know, give them feedback on performance. And I think, you know, in a lot of cases, it was probably exactly the opposite. People tend to be out of sight, out of mind, unless, you know, there's a lot of agency owners out there that do this, that managed by just sort of spitballing it. And they're like, yeah, I don't feel like they're getting as much work done as they used to. Now let me dig in. And it's just, it's, that's not a healthy relationship between employer and employee. Or, you know, or even, you know, agency principal and, and team members, however you want to define everybody's roles. So, I mean, I know that's one of the things as I plan 2023 and in, in sort of what I want to try and accomplish personally, I need to do a better job of that because I haven't uh, done a good job and specifically around COVID. So, um, you know, for two years, I think everybody has a pretty good idea on where I stand on things, but that's not fair to them. You know, we have a virtual professional that we use for appointment setting. I'm not coming in for a review, (laughs) (laughs) ma'am. And honest to God, you know, as much as they love to make money, what that guy really likes more than anything else is when you respond back to him Mm -hmm. in his daily email or, you know, he he's constantly and and I've, I've I've tried my best to be proactive in it, but. He even wants to jump on a Microsoft Teams call every now and again. So I'll have a, and he's over in Pakistan. Mm-hmm. So, but it's, it's literally 
He just wants to make sure that there's nothing else that we need, that he's performing up to expectation. And I mean, the guy lights up when you say, look, man, you're doing an awesome job. You know, I don't want you to, you know, I don't want you to think anything other than that. You know, and not that I'm making excuses, but there's probably going to be times I don't reply back to your daily email every day. It's just probably not going to happen. I said, I'll do my best. And so we Daily's were a bit much. I mean, we, yeah, but I don't, I don't know that you get it. I get it. And what he gives me is a daily email that tells me here's how many calls I've made and here's how many appointments no. I've booked per person. So mm-hmm. I, I, I told that, that, no, my that wife, part's I'm like, good. That, yeah, I mean, that I, part's good, but can't you, can't you get that anyways through HubSpot? I can, yeah. but it's part of it's it's part of what they do at Savitel. Gotcha. They want to make sure I know what, yeah. what he's done. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, which is is honestly what I've trained people in the past that worked for me to do. Um, not just for not because I necessarily need that, especially not on a daily basis. No, but to some degree, it's the same thing that we take as agency owners and do. It's what good employees, proactive employees, will do uh, when you're managing up, and what we do with our customer base is showing the value that the, you bring and the actions that you're taking. Uh, so much of what we're doing is behind the scenes and the same for the people that we're working with. If people are remote, you don't always see and know what they're doing. So just having a little sum up of here's what I've done um, can go a long way just for people to understand. Uh, and I certainly do that with my my clients um, to a large degree. Uh, when we're working on stuff, I mean, you know, if you're not going to pat yourself on the back or let them know, give them an opportunity to pat you on the back, uh, then sometimes they just really don't know and aren't aware. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't want to respond to somebody's email doing that every day, but it's a good protocol that they have at Savital for their um, their employees to do that. Um, just so you have it and you kind of know what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny you mentioned that about how we do that with our clients because I'm going through um, trying to get one of my January 1st renewals wrapped up here in the next week or so. And that, that particular account has had a transition in the CFO over the course of the last year. And the, the gentleman that's the CFO now is, is new in position, um, new to being a, a full blown CFO. And so he doesn't always, he doesn't always like know what the proper procedure is for how to handle different things as far as calculating property values and all of that stuff. And so, I've spent an, a, a long time with him in terms, in terms of teaching him how, how you do this stuff. And it, what it's forced me to do, honestly, is sort of identify a lot of the things that I just do that they wouldn't know mm-hmm. that I just do. And when we were on the call this morning, I was on with him and the CEO of the company. And he's like, man, he goes, you know, I just really had no idea. Like he goes... He said, you're a master of your craft at this point. He goes, because all of this stuff makes perfect sense and it requires nothing from me. And he said, I honestly would have thought you just sold us insurance and would have had no idea if you wouldn't have taken the time to explain it. And I, you know, I get a little bit weird about that because I don't think that I necessarily, I don't, I'm not one to go in and pat myself on the back in front of my clients, unless it's something really, really big and we're celebrating together. But I mean, that was another you know, thing that I needed to hear today is probably need to slow down a little bit and explain things in a little bit greater detail. I mean, Kyle's working on a renewal right now that we're going to have to go over and do that um, for an account because there's some question about, you know, the, I don't want to say the value we bring, but they're just not an understanding of the difference between how we've structured a program for somebody versus 
what they've had in the past and like the the admin people it's, understand that yeah, right it's the guy that owns the business mm-hmm. that doesn't and so we're going to need to go over and talk with him and say look i understand where you're coming from however this is the most efficient way to do what you're doing and and walk him through that because you know we don't want to go out and quote renewals every year we're just not going to do it and this was one that we spent a ton of time on last year yeah we moved it over to our preferred carrier you know that we would put it with and it's performed pretty well since it's been there. And there's really no reason with the current market environment in Florida right now to go price it out and move it. It just doesn't make sense. No. And I don't no, think and- our clients understand, you know, they do have a reputation in the insurance marketplace. And you, this is not the kind of financial environment in Florida, at least right now, where you want to be a one hit wonder with a carrier. You don't want to just give them a year and leave. No, if it's a good partnership. It stays. And that comes down to kind of everything in business, whether it's running the business, working with your employees or uh, talking with your clients. It, it comes down to communication. I mean, there, it's a fine art, right? To say, this is what I've done. Look at me. Look at the great job I'm doing without saying, look at the great job I'm doing. Give me a high five. Um, there's a, you know, a way that you talk about those things that you're doing in a practical sense and why you're educating them on them, that it's not just to run down a list of tasks that I'm doing. Um, and and knowing how to do that well so that your client sees what you're doing without it being like so blatantly obvious, that is the differentiator of, um, you know, being good to great. In and my also mind. not being blatantly technical is the other thing, because, yeah. you know, we would have the ability to go in and just lay it out there and rattle off exactly how something works. And you look up and it looks like, you know, Glass Joe and Mike Tyson's punch out. They just took three to the chin, they have no idea what you just said. Yep. So one of the things that I I thought was important to talk about uh, for, you know, kind of new agencies and new agency owners or people that are trying to grow is, you know, you mentioned earlier COVID and one of the impacts that we've seen that may be nuanced due to COVID is the w- severe war on talent and the ability to uh, attract people, uh, and the pay scales. Uh, I don't think that's something that, you know, kind of launching the agency right when, co- you know, it, it, it was a, a 12 month, basically prep to, to get the agency kicked off. And so no, there was no way we could have envisioned COVID, but one of the difficulties and challenges that we've seen, and I'd like to hear what you guys have seen is just attracting the right people. And then uh, as far as in Texas, the the salaries have gotten really crazy. I mean, the big guys are paying outlandishly large for account managers or account executives. And that's just really blown down to the small agencies. I mean, it, it looks like everybody in my mind is is looking downward to pick somebody up and elevate them to the next size and next space of agency, which just really compresses uh, the smallest of agencies. And so I think that's one of the large challenges that we have found. Uh, and we're just making do uh, with a small team. Um, but certainly, if anybody's looking in Houston, we're we're always looking. <laughs> I mean, it's well, like you, you know, got to have a big sign saying, I'm hiring, I'm hiring. Mm-hmm. I think there's a, I have a couple comments for that. The first one is, I don't necessarily know that we look to attract as much as we look to hunt. Um, you know, at some point you have to make, make, it attractive to have a conversation with this, but 
I'm not going to rely on traditional methods to go out and identify staff. The other thing is, I think that it's it, it's really kind of interesting. The big the big shops are paying all this money when, in a lot of cases, they could augment with virtual professionals. They they could do that, and I don't see the large large agencies doing that nearly as much is the smaller agencies. And what's crazy is they're the ones that are really probably the most equipped to do yeah. it because they have more definition around their processes, better documentation. And in most cases, they're just overall more sophisticated organizations and they have workflows in place. Whereas the smaller agencies many times are attracted to using virtual professionals to augment the workforce because there's so much less money for them, but they don't have any like formality to any of their programs. And so it doesn't always work the way that it needs to, because you bring a virtual professional in just because you put the body in the seat doesn't mean they know what to do. And if you don't have an ability to document your processes so that they're replicable and trainable, then, you know, that's a, a major snag too. But I think you're going to continue to see that segment of the labor force continue to grow. The problem is that you run into times where they start to get keen on it and maybe you'll have a virtual professional that decides they're going to move over to the United States to start their own company and go back to all their buddies where they came from and offer them twice as much. And you're seeing a lot of just crazy stuff happening just inside of that whole sector of labor, you know, with, with VAs and, and VPs. So why do you think some of the bigger uh, firms are, are not using the VAs as much? I don't know. I'd be interested in Crystal answering that because she worked at a much larger firm than what, than what I have. Yeah. So she's the, experienced that at a different level. While I worked at a firm that's really, really big now, I was there when they were a startup and we didn't have that stuff. Yeah, it's a, actually a good point because now I'm thinking of uh, the transition a few years ago from one of the the top biggest agencies uh, to using you know cert service centers and the agency that I worked with that was one of our selling points is like uh, you know we had a client that had hundreds of literally hundreds of thousands of certs so when I say I'm a cert master I I oversaw all these certs I wasn't actually the one always doing them but um, we did them in-house uh, with an assistant account manager, uh, but one of the really big firms had moved to a service center organization, but the service center was in America. I think it was in Chicago um, hmm. or outlying of Chicago as one of their service center points. In my mind, uh, you know, having a, a few dedicated uh, virtual professionals in some of these other countries where they're really well-educated, I mean, a certificate... I mean, if you just look at the email and check the right boxes and do, you know, uh, for the most part, they're not overwhelmingly technical or difficult, especially if somebody is feeding you, you know, what we need on the cert. Um, So that seems like a really easy way. I have no idea, honestly, why would they not be doing that? Um, Now, I'm trying to think of some of them overseas, like in London might be doing that elsewhere. Um, But for the large part, I'm not aware of anybody doing that. Now, I know that one of the pitches against some of the big firms, um, you know, in, in, in multinational or, or 
across the United States kind of clients um, is where are your headquarters and should the, the primary team be in the same city? Uh, so that works on some clients. Some clients really want their, their, their you know, account executives, main account managers to be in the same city so that they can visit in person. Um, but the, for the service personnel, there's really no reason. And you're right. If you're a publicly traded company, why wouldn't you be thinking about that? Mm-hmm. I think they probably have some level of concern for how secure systems are. Uh, they're worried about their data, you know, the typical things that, that people would have as a concern. That would, that would be my guess. I also think that when you're publicly traded, you're far more regulated as to what you can do because you're answering to a board of directors and stockholders and everything else. Whereas sure. I don't have to really ask anybody my permit for permission to do anything. Um, but I mean, it, it is interesting and you see it. I see it in a lot of different industries other than just insurance, because I actually insure two really big VA companies that work in um, the medical segment. It's not, they're not even in insurance, but um, you know, these people have, thousands of one, one company has a couple thousand VAs and all they do is like medical billing and that kind of stuff, just basic clerical work. And I, I mean, I think we're at a point where we're going to be forced to a certain degree. And I don't mean forced negative, but I mean, if we're looking to, to morph our businesses and evolve, we're going to have to look at that as, as a real solution. Because at this point in the United States of America, my opinion is if you're not working, it's because you don't want to. I mean, there's not a oh, problem. There's so many jobs. jobs. No, there's no, there's so many jobs. I mean, it's, it's, un, it's really unreal how many jobs there are and how there are not enough qualified candidates. And I think because over the years, um, you know, insurance isn't like, I mean, for me, it's sexy. I mean, I know you love it. Uh, but for a 22 year old who hasn't had exposure to it, it doesn't seem like a, an industry you just want to jump into. And I think by and large, the young people are not uh, migrating that direction. And uh, so I, I think it's just going to get worse from experience. You know, people are going to have to get used to being able to train and retain. Uh, and then how do you position them? I mean, I think you're doing a great job, David, in positioning people to have autonomy, have decision making abilities. Um, and to have the entrepreneurial spirit, because that I really do believe, uh, you know, money can move the certain kind of person, no matter what, you know, there's just certain people that are going to move for a thousand dollars or $5,000 or whatever it is. But for other people that want a certain kind of lifestyle and a certain kind of work environment, once you give those things to people, um, that is going to be what really keeps people in your company. Uh, so I think agency owners, I've seen some other agency owners, you know, in this area who are really controlling about what they do and how things are done. Uh, and I think they see a lot of a higher turnover with employees, especially on the lower level, you know, because it just, like you said, it doesn't make sense. If you're having an assistant account manager, you can't be paying an assistant account manager, you know, 60 or $70,000. It just financially, the numbers do not add up for what the work would justify. That's why a VA is amazing option. Um, but if you really want to keep people around, you need to think about what's the whole culture of your company and how are you letting people learn and grow on their own? Um, you know, still within your umbrella, uh, but that's really important. So what surprised you most over the course of the last couple of years, as you, as you went into this, like if there was a big landmine that you were to 
tell everybody, hey, look out for this. It's going to happen. Um, how hard it can be to get appointments with certain carriers. Uh, it really, I mean, it's really, it's sometimes it's really hard to even get, you know, I, I was asking around in our, um, killing commercial, uh, group about a certain carrier. Uh, I'd called the BPs three times. Uh, my client came to me with this, uh, you know, information about this carrier and I called the BPs three times and left voice messages. They didn't even call me back. I finally got information through my own personal network. Um, but I was just shocked that, you know, this carrier did not care, wasn't concerned. Didn't he, they didn't know what size we were, how much volume of business we had. They just weren't concerned about calling us back, whether or not we wanted an appointment or not. So I think that was really surprising. Uh, I mean, I'm pretty tenacious person. So if I feel like something is the best route for us, I'm going to continue going forward until I have the answer. Um, but appointments can be tricky. There are plenty of ways around it. If you're, you know, think outside the box though. So, uh, I, I would not say, uh, you know, bigger companies always tout, we've got all these appointments. Honestly, I have half the appointments. I have half the appointments of your agency. And, um, I think we're very competitive because I do, you know, look at things in a different kind of way and find the way to make the best decisions for the client I can make. Uh, but well, yeah. getting appointments and then obviously you need to to have um, a certain volume of business to keep appointments. So the one thing I knew going in, um, but you really got to you know pay attention to is do not overcommit. Uh, I know of another agency that did overcommit. Then they started getting appointments pulled because they were not meeting their quotas, which in my opinion was even worse. So I didn't go out with that strategy. I go I went out with the strategy of let's have a, a handful of key and then figure out how to fill in the gaps with wholesalers and find wholesalers that really align with, you know, how we like to work. But, you know, that's one of the number one questions that uh, carriers ask when you look to an appointment, have, have you had an appointment that was pulled in the last 12 months? Gosh, that would be a terrible reason to say, yeah, I did, but it wasn't because I did anything wrong. It was just because I didn't have the volume. Um, so I think it's better for um, new companies just to focus on a handful uh, however, one thing that I've seen other people do that just drives me crazy, do not force your client to one of your carriers because it is one of your direct appointments and you get paid more. That's not ethical. And that mm -hmm. is not going to keep you around in the long run. Go with whoever is best for your client, period. No matter what the you know revenue to you is generated, no matter what your volumes are, um, and if you don't overcommit on uh, appointments, you won't be, uh, you know, there won't be, you won't be incentivized as much to do that anyway. Uh, but that is one thing we definitely, definitely do not do. I've seen other people doing that also that we work with in the industry um, and nothing irritates me more. You should do the best job for your client, period. That's the beauty of the fee-based model. Now I don't care, right? Because I'm getting paid directly from my client for my services as opposed to the carrier. Yeah. And even though I would never go to a carrier because I get five more points from one over the other, if it's not in the best interest of my client, you can't ever truly remove all doubt that you're doing that unless you're not getting a commission at all. In my yeah. opinion, you know, the perception will always be there from your client, you know, in the back of their mind. 
especially if it's somebody you don't have a long-standing relationship with. Why is he pushing me this way? Why does he think this is a better option? I'm, I wonder if he gets paid more. Whereas if I net the commissions out of the business that we place with our carriers and then I build my client directly, there's never a question if I'm recommending coverage, if I'm recommending a carrier, because I don't make any more money based on that decision at that point. It's a fair point. So is there a, a dividing line on where you, like what size of account do you place with a fee versus a, I mean, I know David, you've kind of moved on. I still work on some small accounts. So is there like a dividing line in your mind where it really makes sense to just go straight in with a fee versus a commission? Yeah, I think the I think the smallest I've ever done is like 12,000 a year in revenue and it was easy just to build them a $1,000 a month that way. But truthfully, I feel like if you're really looking to to get into having a competitive advantage using a fee, the the more you get above 25 grand in account revenue and really kind of that 50 to 100 range is really yeah. the best place to do it because even at 50 grand you're still not attracting the attention of all of the big boys to come in. It's just kind of right under their radar, but it's above the level of competency of the average local agency. And so you can bring in a compensation structure that is more along the lines of what the big multinational brokers mm -hmm. typically put in place, but you're bringing it to a middle market where they've never had that offered to them before. So you know, there's never a time that I explain it, that the people aren't all ears to hear about it. They don't always understand it, though. That's the thing. I mean, it's a really because our clients and prospects are just simply used to buying insurance and not having the, the whole service fee model presented to them. You have to be good at explaining it because you can confuse somebody very, very quickly otherwise. Yeah. So the other thing I would say on kind of compensation that, um, I guess I was sort of surprised that nobody has asked me about this, but um, in a good way. Um, I actually also add fees to almost every commission account, um, especially if they're small. And I would, you know, push other agency owners to roll something out similarly with their team and their, uh, their producers. If you have a lot of small business, um, whether it's, you know, kind of homeowners associations or personal lines or other things um, that are just kind of naturally on the smaller side that aren't going to grow uh, because time is money. And I think about I'm touching something, my staff is touching something, um, you know, $50 is just simply not enough. You know, a personal lines, I, I mean, I had a client the other day that wanted to get an umbrella. Well, I actually told him you need an umbrella. It's a business owner that we're also doing all their personal um, stuff for as well. And they bought a boat. And I said, you know, I talked to you about this before, but you really need an umbrella. You have all these assets and you own a business. Like you're a sitting duck for getting a lawsuit. Um, so you need to get this. Uh, well, even though we do all that, I mean, I still had to touch it. And I, I put it on there, you know, I'm going to make $65 on this and I'm going to charge you a fee on top of that. Nobody has ever asked me about that. Nobody has ever questioned it. Nobody has pushed back on it, honestly. And, I, you know, I think if, if if things are working well for you as is, great. But if you have a huge volume of small accounts, you really need to peel back what you're doing, especially if you don't have these virtual assistants and you're paying USD for your, you know, full-time employees, then um, 
you know, you got to take a hard look in the mirror and say, are these accounts profitable at all? Am I actually losing money on these accounts? Why are you working to lose money? That doesn't make sense to me. And if you have good relationships and you have the kind of clients that you want, look, I don't want to work with somebody that doesn't want me to get paid well. Why Why would you want to work with somebody that doesn't want you to make a living? So um, in my mind, right. I, I just say that I'm going to put this on there. Nobody has ever pushed back. So activity doesn't mean it's profitable, right? right. Like I think so many times, and it's especially a trap that people fall into when they open a new agency, they go write everything they can. Mm-hmm. It's the easiest thing in the world to be on the other side of that saying you really shouldn't do that because you're not. And it's the hardest thing not to do when you're just starting out in business. And until you get burnt a couple of times or you actually do start writing good business and you can come up and breathe and look back and say, wow, you know, probably not the best idea for me to write that. But truthfully, Many agencies just aren't capitalized well and their cash flow they're 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 writing business simply to cash flow, hoping that it stays on the books long enough that they're not gonna have a chargeback. I mean, look, I went through that. I I I you know, I, I didn't have a choice. I had to write anything and everything that was coming in. At least I didn't have a choice in my own mind. And I look back now and I'm like, my goodness, man, how much time did I waste just chasing this stuff people who don't give you information in a timely fashion Mm -hmm. people who don't pay their bills people who go into cancellation and now you got to take time to go talk to the carrier get them to reinstate it and all of this stuff and it's like it would just be so much easier if i just wrote the right kind of business to begin with that's it but you and i think adding a fee to a lot of these kind of accounts kind of naturally will weed that out right like if you're having the kind of person that is like I don't want to pay $50 more for the right kind of auto insurance. Okay. Then find somebody else that'll give you some crappy policy that probably won't cover you. Um, you know, like, if, okay, you have a Tahoe. You don't think that's like some fancy luxury vehicle. Well, guess what? How much they cost today and all these people running around with minimum insurance. If you don't have enough underinsured and uninsured motorists, that's a big issue. So if you want Especially somebody that's just going to... It's the same in Houston, big time. <laughs> I mean, it's outrageous. In fact, that just happened to my dad. Um, but if you don't want to pay $10 more to have the adequate coverage or pay me a $50 fee, there's plenty of other agents out there that'll go do that for you. I just push people to say, you're in this to make a living for your family, to take care of your family. And part of that is making sure you know your value, know your vision and or adequately asking for proper compensation, adding a $50, $100 fee to these little personal lines or small business accounts. It's not going to break the bank for anybody, but it can make the difference for you on an individual account basis of whether your accounts are profitable or not profitable. So I would say that that is, you know, really thinking that through and how you can roll that strategy out. If you have a volume of accounts that are bringing in less than a thousand dollars per account, If you think about that over a 12 to 18 month, um, I think you could see a huge shift in how your agency is operating and what you're able to do. Uh, Because I do, I mean, I agree with you, David. Um, I personally um, prefer to work on minimal market accounts, uh, but there, you know, that's part of the world, right? Everybody needs insurance. Everybody needs insurance and somebody needs to insure them, um, but you need to be compensated for that. Um, So I would say, uh, I knew all the challenges going in about, you know, getting to cash flow and how, you know, you need to functionally move forward with your finances. 
Um, but what surprised me the most was that nobody questioned my fees. Yeah. And you can, I mean, you can, you can put fees on the stuff that you offer. Like, I mean, we offer mineral and mm-hmm. um, some of those things, like we, we don't like, you know, charge them up front, but you could build it into, if, if it's a, if you're taking a fee instead of commission, you could just kind of build the cost for that into their annualized or monthly fee or whatever. And they would be, it's not even discussed. It's just in there to cover what you're providing them. So yeah, hundred yeah, percent. But I think, you know, part of that too has to do with mindset. And I know that's something Crystal wanted to talk about in another one of her bullet points. This may be a good break for us to stop this episode right now. And we're going to jump back and we're going to pick this conversation back up in next week's episode. Everybody, we will catch you next week. See ya. been listening to power producers shop talk you can follow us at the power producers podcast on facebook and instagram and if you want to take your game to the next level check out our commercial insurance training course at killingcommercial.com or visit amazon to pick up a copy of our international best-selling book the extra two minutes